Welcome to the audiobook version of the novel Mercy Not Sacrifice by Dan Parks, read by the author. Chapter 7 The Doctor My dad found a doctor that specializes in self-injury in the next-door town of Fayette. Dr. Healer had a private clinic just off the town square and worked as a professor at the college in town. That first year I'd went to his office once a week and had been in and out ever since. I walked in the door and approached the window where a middle-aged lady sat behind the counter. She slid open the glass that separated us. May I help you? She asked. Yeah. I got a 10 o'clock with Dr. Healer. You mean Dr. Healer, she responded. It's pronounced Healer. Yes, I said. Healer, I know. I'll let him know you're here, she said. As I sat down in the waiting room, a young boy sat across from me, and his mother stood beside him. Do you need to go to the bathroom? she asked. No, he responded without taking his eyes off his shoes. I looked at the boy and tried not to stare, but I saw a familiarness in his face. At that age, the weight of my soul was so heavy that I thought I would suffocate, and it had gotten worse since. After some time in the waiting room, a man hurried through the office door. He had a shiny bald head and a gray goatee about a half a foot long. He looked slightly disorganized and a bit perturbed. The lady behind the desk said something to him, and he looked in the waiting room at me and walked down to the back of the hallway, and then turned and came back and stopped directly in front of me. Johnny? he asked. I stood and said, yes. He extended his hand and said, it's been so long, I didn't recognize you. Dr. Healer? I asked, taking back. My first time at the office, I was 13 years old, and my mom brought me to the appointment at a time when she was still a functional alcoholic and almost capable of caring for me. I had walked the first few steps that day and turned to see her face with all the smile that she knew how to give encouraged me onward. But this day, someone else showed up at my appointment. Down the hallway in the waiting room, in the chair next to the door, sat a young woman. She wore a coral-colored sundress that rode high on her thighs as she sat with her legs crossed, and she wiggled her feet on which she wore brown leather gladiator sandals. Her light blonde hair was curled loosely and fell just below her shoulders but she blocked her face with a magazine. Just as I was about to sit down on the couch inside of his office, I stopped. Wait a minute, I said. My head shot back through the door and looked down the hall. The magazine was in her lap now, and she looked directly up at me, tapping her wrist. Oh, fuck, I thought. Not now, Lori. I shut the door and walked in the office and sat down. Somebody out there, he asked. No one I want to see. He walked to the chair in the corner of his office. A large end table sat next to him, and a leather ottoman was at his feet. The office was dark as the light was off, but a little morning sun steeped through the two windows. Johnny, he said, how long has it been? My fingers touched my sweaty palms and ran themselves back out to a full extension. Twelve years, I said. I stopped coming when I was sixteen. Dr. Healer ran his hand over the top of his bald head. You've grown up to be a handsome man, he said. And as you can see, I'm balder than I used to be. <laughs> yeah, I said with a chuckle. Most of your hair is on your chin now. He grabbed his goatee and tugged it and ran his hand from top to bottom. I've changed and grown, he said. I found that in my own life that if something isn't working, then I either have to try something new or fix it. I'm a biker now. Some might call it a midlife crisis, but I prefer a midlife adjustment. I found myself sitting on the edge of the couch. I had a firm hold on the armrest with my left hand, and when I realized that I released my grip, 
I noticed the wear marks where my hand had been. The same stresses scarred the edges of the couch. Enough about me, Dr. Healer said. This is about you. Let's talk about how we can help you. Why did you stop coming? When I was 16, my dad decided to become a preacher, I said. In doing so, he left my Grandpa John's business and lost his medical insurance. Dr. Healer took a yellow notepad out from the ottoman and began making notes. Did you feel like you were finished with therapy? He asked. I was at a good point in my life, I said. I thought that I had a good foundation on which to build my life on. But now I find myself back here. He took a drink from the cup on the end table. The cup was from the local pizzeria in town. Why did you begin to come to therapy, he asked. My jaw jetted out and both my hands went to my face and wiped back to my ears. To admit who I was to myself meant I had to confess that I had been hiding. I was cutting myself, I said. Without skipping a beat, he asked why. Because of what I felt. What did you feel, he asked. Pain. From what? My life. So you felt pain, and that made you want to hurt yourself. Where do you think that pain came from? The hardest part of therapy was opening up to what was really bothering me, especially when it was my nature to want to be a shelter for everyone but myself. I started cutting a few years before my dad moved out, I said. Dr. Healer crossed his legs and ran his hand over his goatee again. He stared at me in a stern, but a friendly manner, and said, that's good. Now we got a timeline going, but I'm sure that we had dug up a reason why you started treating yourself this way. Do you remember what it was? We can lie to ourselves. I did for years. We do it because we think it is easier than facing the truth. My dad had not been happy in his marriage with my mom for about five years before he cheated on her for the first time. He had been working for Grandpa John at Carmen Carriers in the office with Archie. They had went to a trucking convention at a casino in St. Louis. Archie had retired early to bed, but Dad had his eyes on a certain waitress. He'd always figured that cheating would be hard to do, but it was all too easy. After that night, he stayed away for work as often as he could. My mom had been an art teacher at St. Michael's, where she worked half days in the morning. Never had the kids had a teacher more passionate about her work, and never had they received a more rounded education. Every kid that had been in her class had learned more about the world of art than most university students. She taught them to work in acrylic, charcoal, pencil, glass, and ceramics. But after she found the first pair of women's underwear in a suitcase, the wall came crashing down on her teaching career. She started to sneak her bottle in the class with her, and it was a slow chug to the bottom from there. When I was 13, I saw my parents' marriage begin to fall apart, I said. That's when I made a promise to myself to keep them together. But no matter how hard I tried, it didn't work. It kept getting worse and worse. He made notes on his yellow pad and I looked down at my arms. My elbows were locked and pushed against the couch. I let them go relaxed, but I stopped myself and tensed up again. I couldn't control them, I said. I couldn't keep them together. I lost it and began crying into my hands. Dr. Healer handed me a box of tissues, but I didn't cry actual tears. No moisture came out of my eyes. That's when I started cutting. I had taken the responsibility on myself for other people, and when I let them down, the frustration that I experienced had to come out somewhere. And my skin felt like the most reasonable way. Why do you think it was your responsibility to keep your parents together? He asked. The thought that it was my duty to make my family whole had become such a large part of my personal identity that I had never stopped to ask myself, why? Because it was my duty. 
It wasn't, Johnny, Dr. Healer said. You're the child, not the parent. I'd never thought about it that way. I asked myself why I had placed so much responsibility on my plate. I always wanted to protect them, I said. I knew that I could handle the pain so they didn't have to. Let me get this straight, he said. Let me get this straight, he said. You lived in a house with parents that acted like children, so you had to act like the parent. Then when they split up, you felt like it was your fault, and you have hurt yourself physically and emotionally over this? That's right, I responded. Now you got a decision to make, Dr. Heather said. It's your choice to stop doing that. You need to realize that your only responsibility is yourself. But it is. It's all I've ever known. No, Johnny, he said as his voice grew sturdy. It's not your sacrifice to make. You've gotten used to seeing yourself a certain way. Your childhood has left a mark on you, but now it's time for you to grow up and become a man. The body changes as we age. I began to get hair on parts of my body that was covered by my clothes in the 6th grade. My voice had begun to change its pitch in the 8th grade, and I had begun to be nervous to read aloud during class as I was afraid that my voice might crack. I didn't begin to grow facial hair until I was about 18 years old and still couldn't grow a full beard, but what Dr. Healer said that day struck me. His assumption was that I had yet to become a man, and I wanted to uncover what that meant. I was 28 years old, and I had a job. I owned the home that I lived in and the pickup that I drove. What was it that kept me from being a man? How am I not a man, I asked. Lori always showed up when I was the most vulnerable. When I was lonely or afraid or sad, Lori would appear as if out of nowhere. She came in the room with a seductive smile upon her face as she pranced up to Dr. Healer, taking slow and deliberate steps until she sat on the arm of his chair. She crossed her legs and her dress rose high up her thighs. She then placed her arms behind him on the back of the chair and looked at me, right in the eyes, not blinking even once. I closed my eyes and hoped that she would disappear, but when I opened them, she was there bolder and brighter than ever. Johnny, he said, I'm not judging you, but rather I judge the actions that I see you make. And I see that your choices reflect a dependence on others. I looked at Lori, and she nodded with a malicious smile. In the past, when I saw her upset, I would get bothered and try to cure it. When she became sad, I would grow depressed too, so that I could join her in the depths that she was walking in. I would rise up and down with her in whatever mood that she was in. This isn't saying that we didn't have good times, but all that was left over was the iniquity. So what does it mean to become a man? I asked. Lori began to run her hand softly over Dr. Healer's head and down the back of his neck. She tickled his ear and began to blow into it. My fingers ripped through the couch cushions, tearing the fabric. Well, Johnny, he said, obviously physically you're a man and a fine-looking one. What I'm attempting to reveal to you is your need to grow emotionally. Being a man means taking responsibility for your life and not blaming others for where you went wrong. I put my elbows on my knees and folded my hands and placed my chin on top of my fingers. I thought that was what therapy was, I said. I come in here and talk and complain about what happened to me and condemn my family for where they went wrong. Dr. Healer shook his head and responded, No, no, no. What happened to you is important, Johnny. But what we do in this room is give you back the power of your life. It's your decisions that shape your life, no matter what or who is in front of you. Lori walked from his chair over to the table beside him and grabbed his pen. She then stepped towards me, popping her hips. She tempted and teased and seduced and stopped in front of Dr. Healer, blocking my view of him. The choice is yours of who you let in your life, he said. He sat in his chair and then reached to his cup and took a slow, deliberate drink of water to soothe his throat as he prepared to talk once more. He steadied the yellow pad of paper on his lap. 
By that time, Lori had sat down next to me, and I wanted her to hold me. I was balancing what I had learned that day with what I had known my entire life, and the years of the past versus the time of the present were balanced unfavorably. Dr. Healer cleared his throat and said, Now that we recalled where you came from and established a need for our work, what's going on now? If I remember right, you had a girlfriend when you were a young man. Is she still around? Yes, I responded. What was her name? Lori. I said as I looked over my right shoulder to see her perched lips. All right, he said as he prepared to write, but he didn't find his pen where he had left it. I took the pen from her hand and stood up from the couch and handed it to him, but the weight of her spirit pulled me back. She yelled onto me with her arms intertwined around my bicep. How'd that get over there, he asked. Weird. Anyways, do you still see her? I closed my eyes and my shoulder dropped as if a weight was lifting. I see her all the time. He smiled and asked, How is she? I looked to Lori as she gazed at me with familiar helpless eyes. She then lurched forward towards me and I heard her voice as clear as ever when she whispered, Don't tell. But the urge was too strong. I couldn't bear the haunting alone. I didn't want to expose her, but I needed the help. I thought back to what he had said about becoming a man emotionally, and then I realized that my responsibility was for my feelings and not hers. Lori held me close and looked at me once more with weary, watery eyes. Johnny, Dr. Healer said, how's Lori? That moment was the clearest that I had ever saw her. The color of her dress shone as bright as the sun. She took my hand and ran it over her thighs, and I could feel the moisture of her skin. She felt as real as a young man's lust when she led my hand up to her breast. I then took her tender neck in my hands and placed my thumbs on the corner of her lips and prepared to kiss them. Johnny, he yelled. What? I responded helplessly as if I was awoken from a dream. How's Lori? I looked to him and then back to her. I lowered my head and said, She's dead. And when I looked back to where she had been, she was gone.